0: Welcome to our continuing 2018 educational webinar series. I am Kathryn Short, Partnership Marketing Specialist for FIRST Healthcare Compliance. At FIRST Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business, a hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. We are so pleased to have Grant Elliott, President and CEO of Ostendio, a cybersecurity and information management SaaS platform. He is the former COO and CISO of Voxiva, now WellPass, an integrated messaging and patient engagement platform. He has over 10 years experience developing and managing cybersecurity programs and supporting regulatory audits. Before working at Voxiva, Grant held senior positions at AT AT&T. Grant is also the co-founder and president of the Healthcare Cloud Coalition, HC3, a healthcare compliance advocacy group funded by, amongst others, Microsoft and Apple. He mentors at Accelerate DC Venture Mentoring Service and is an adjunct professor at the Pratt Institute, New York. A copy, of the slide deck, a copy of the slide deck is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions into the question box on your control panel during the presentation. We will address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your Paycom CEU certificate will be emailed to you from PAYCOM following the broadcast. There is no need to request it. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. Grant, go ahead.
1: Thanks very much Catherine, it's a great introduction and I'm delighted to be here to discuss um, what's really an engaging topic, uh, GDPR. Um, As many of you will know on May 25th uh, this year uh, the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, is coming into force impacting how businesses collect and process data from individuals if you have or plan to have a website or any form of app that visitors may from the uk uh, the eu may visit or you process any form or data from individuals from the eu then you need to comply with gdpr good news is that if you're already operating in line with uh, a regulation like HIPAA then you may be closer than you think to being compliant with with the GDPR. Today, I'm going to discuss a little bit about how you can leverage your HIPAA compliance activities uh, to make GDPR less of a lift. Let's begin. So the agenda today, we're going to cover an overview of the GDPR, some of the key changes and how it impacts you, uh, how it applies to US companies specifically and steps uh, you can take to prepare uh, for the arrival of GDPR. One just general caveat here, and just to be clear, I'm not a lawyer, and so any uh, information we provide during this presentation is not considered, or does not constitute as legal advice. If you're looking for specific legal guidance with regards to GDPR, please consult your organization's lawyer or seek independent legal counsel. So let's move forward, okay. so. Basically, what is GDPR? So, the EU General Data Protection Regulation (GDPR) is the most important change in data privacy regulation in 20 years. It includes especially owners' requirements with respect to data subject rights and third-party compliance. The EU GDPR replaces the previous Data Protection Directive ninety five forty six ec which was designed to harmonise data privacy laws across Europe. Protect and empower all of EU citizens' data privacy and to reshape the way organizations across the region approach data privacy generally. As we say in the slide here, there there, there is no one size fits all approach to this. If we actually look at some of the key definitions, first of all, GDBR predominantly applies to two different entities, and these entities are called controllers and processors. A controller as a natural or a legal person, a public authority, agency, or other body which determines the purpose and means of processing the processing of the personal data. They're basically the people that that that, that manage the data and kind of, for lack of a better term, own the data. The processor is responsible for processing personal data on behalf of the controllers. They're typically doing something on behalf of the controller. So who does GDPR apply to? Okay, So basically, it's any company uh, located in the EU, because effectively they have EU citizens working for them, but also any company monitoring the behavior of EU citizens. As you can see, GDPR has a much wider breadth of the data that governs than typical data regulations or security regulations. HIPAA, by comparison, has a much smaller realm and is limited specifically to uh, PHI or protected health information. To comply with GDPR and avoid fines and penalties, companies must have a thorough and current understanding of all of their data assets. So let's have a look at some of the key changes that are basically coming up. So we're going to discuss each of these in more detail as we go through the presentation. But the key elements to think about are breach notification, right to access, data protection officer, or DPO, right to be forgotten, data portability, data security by design, and by default. So again, as GDPR comes in, what are the fundamental differences between GDPR and a regulation like HIPAA? Specifically, as we mentioned, HIPAA is limited to the protection of personal health information, PHI whereas GDPR is focused on fundamental consumer protection rights. One of the centerpieces of GDPR is the strengthening of individual rights. So the key concept really there is that HIPAA is very specifically focused on the type of data that's being managed. GDPR is very much focused on the individual the data belongs to. So again, let's look at this in a little bit more detail gdbr puts forth clear guidelines for when health can be processed or essentially when it can actually be uh, assessed again gdbr specifically says that you have to have the explicit consent from the individual for health it has to be for the purpose of health and social care or it has to be for the purpose of public health so for example cross border containment. Uh, has similar definitions but again it's yeah, slightly different it's specifically for the treatment of the patient. Payment of any healthcare related activity or any general healthcare operations. You can see actually it's a much narrower definition of when the actual data applies. So, how do we leverage the difference between these two? Article 32 of the regulation mandates that controllers and processors implement appropriate technical and organisational measures to ensure a level of security appropriate to the risk. GDPRs, data concerning health, is comparable to regulatory requirements for HIPAA. You know, like I've already said, you have to have technical safeguards in place for both. A couple of other points related to this. adherence to an approved code of conduct as referred in Article 40 or an approved certification mechanism as referred to in Article 42 may be used as an element with which to demonstrate compliance with the requirements set out in Paragraph 1 of this article. What that's basically saying is that GDPR itself is not its own security or privacy framework, but if you're aligned to another security framework on an, an equivalent uh, 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 industry accepted practice, then you can use that practice or that framework basically as your guiding principle for uh, for for being compliant to something like GDPR. But again, each of those frameworks has its own pros and cons, and HIPAA itself is a regulation rather than a standard but there are certain elements of the HIPAA regulation that because if you're already compliant or operating in a line with, then that's going to stand you in good stead with any other recognized security framework. So what are the big differences between uh, GDPR and HIPAA? Probably the biggest one is when it comes to data breach. Um, people may be familiar that in 2013, uh, the final omnibus rule for, for HIPAA came out and really redefined the breach notification requirements uh, for HIPAA. Um, The time period uh, uh, remained the same, which was 60 days uh, from the discovery of a breach. But the responsibility between a covered entity and a business associate uh, was basically made equal. Again, the business associates had to report within the same time frame, regardless of what their uh, business associate agreement says. GDPR is far more strict, and GDPR actually requires 72 hours to actually report the data breach from the point of discovery. Now, for many people, that might not seem such a big jump because, again, if you review many business associate agreements, you'll see that many covered entities actually require, or, or, or suggest, or, or put in the contract that their uh, that their business associates do respond in much shorter time frames Although typically, what we normally see is that's closer to 10 days uh, than three days. But I certainly have seen them requirements for 24 hours 72 hours the big difference here is uh, again if your covered entity is asking you to provide a report within that time frame your responsibility is a commercial responsibility to that entity this 72 hour GDPR requirement is obviously a regulatory obligation under the law and so if you fail to uh, uh, if you fail to meet that particular definition, then it's not just your customer that's going to be coming after you; it's potentially is going to be the EU. So let's move on to some of the other uh, areas within GDPR. There's right to be forgotten, so also known as data erasure. The right to be forgotten entitles the data subject of the data controller to erase his or her personal data, cease further dissemination of the data, and potentially have third parties halt processing the data. The conditions for the erasure include the data no longer being relevant to original purposes of processing or data subjects withdrawing consent. Now, there's been some really interesting court precedent cases even prior to GDPR coming in where people actually uh, arguing for their information to actually be removed from various different uh, uh, third party organizations. And this is going to be one of the hardest ones, I think, for organizations to police. Because again, the question comes into you know if an organization has it. Say, for example, Google is the organization and it's part of a Google search. Uh, What are the requirements in terms of removing that information? Is that information public record? Clearly, when it comes to more of a private organization, if you're doing business with a particular organization, then uh, there's maybe a little bit less controversy over the right to actually have the data removed. But fundamental to being able to have the data removed means that the organization itself needs to understand what data to have and where that data actually is. And so you cannot guarantee that you're removing someone's data from your system if you don't know everywhere it is. Good examples of that might be maybe you remove their data from your production systems but you have back-end development systems or you have staging environments or you basically have internal crm systems you have to understand that that person's data is in all of those environments and if someone makes the request for that information to be removed you need to be able to make sure and confirm that you've removed it from all those different systems not just the production systems and again if you're working with a cloud provider or you're working with some sort of third-party organization you also have to ensure that they're removing that data as well if you're going to comply with the request. And that can obviously be difficult, especially if you're working with cloud providers like Amazon Amazon Web Services uh, or, or, or Microsoft Azure, because they don't necessarily always identify or know uh, what data belongs to a specific individual. They're, they're, they're managing the data in uh, 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 an aggregate. And so you have to have tools or capabilities to be able to actually go in and make sure that they're actually removing that information and not just overwrite it. If we move to right of access or right to access, again, this is very similar to HIPAA, uh, where people have a right to access their information. Uh, again, an individual has the following rights to obtain confirmation of whether his or her personal data is being processed, uh, to access the data and to be, be given a copy of that data, and to be provided with supplemental information about the processing. Again, people under HIPAA have the same rights with regard to their healthcare data. The big difference here is that under HIPAA, you only have the rights to information that falls under uh, uh, the jurisdiction of HIPAA. So as we talked about earlier on, information for the the treatment uh, 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 and and management of your care, any other information um, doesn't fall under the right to access from a HIPAA perspective. But when we talk about GDPR, we're talking about any personal data at all. So again, if you go to your local CVS, if you go to anywhere, If if this information falls because you're an EU citizen or someone is an EU citizen, any data you provide that's personally identifiable, um, basically, you have the right to get a copy of that record from any organization. Again, I want to put the same concerns that we had on the right to be forgotten. That basically means that you need to be able to understand what information you have, the complete information that you have, and be in a position to have a process where you can demonstrate that if someone makes that request, you can follow that request up and you can deal with it. And you need to also be able to report on the fact that you're monitoring and tracking those types of requests and you have a process in place for how you're actually supposed to be dealing with those specific requests. Let's move on to uh, data portability. So GDPR introduces data portability, the right for data, for a data subject to receive the personal data concerning them, which they've previously provided in a, com- this is a definition, commonly used in machine-readable format, and have the right to transmit that data to another controller. And again, this is very similar to some of the requirements under HIPAA, because again, if you go from one doctor to another doctor, or one a, a, a provider to another provider, you theoretically have the right to require them to transfer your patient record. To the other uh, uh, physician or the other. Now, we anyone who's used the U.S. healthcare system knows that's probably uh, not as easy a, a, as it should be, um, and practically can be, can pose challenges. But you absolutely have the right under HIPAA to basically have your information moved uh, between different facilities. Uh, GDPR follows the same process. Obviously, again, it's going to be interesting to see how organizations meet this particular requirement because of the data compatibility issues. But again, the idea really is that again for specific use cases, this is going to be easier than others. There are are systems and industries uh, where there is immediate compatibility and that information should be able to be moved. But there's obviously going to be other situations where organizations are going to have to come up with mechanisms to make sure that they can both send and receive that types of data to other, uh, other controllers. Moving forward again uh we've also introduced this new concept of a data protection officer so again one of the uh, interesting uh differentiations between hipaa and a lot of security frameworks is that hipaa actually requires that there is a dedicated security officer and um, the hipaa doesn't actually mandate a privacy officer it does recommend a privacy officer uh, but a data protection officer would be similar to the definition of a privacy officer under hipaa and again So each organization has to define a data protection officer. Now, the data protection officer doesn't have to be dedicated. It doesn't have to be their only job. But you have to to basically be able to define, within the organization, a person who fundamentally is responsible for data protection within the organization. That person, as you can see here, has specific requirements they need to report to senior management although the definition of senior management can, can always be variable, they need to have the ability to operate independently from the rest of the company they also have to have adequate resources to perform the role obviously as we move into this and we we, you know, we, we start having um, more audits more investigations some of those terms are very vague and so it's going to be difficult in the short term to determine whether or not. You know, is the person reporting at a senior enough level? Uh, do they have sufficient independence, given that they're a company employee? And what is adequate resources? Um, because again, uh, the way that HIPAA works quite often is, you know, HIPAA itself does not always define uh, what adequacy actually is until actually you're, uh, the OCR themselves are actually investigating some sort of breach and they'll make a determination. And so often, if you are making a determination based on the the end result, either there's been a breach then quite often the, the, the answer coming back is going to be that you had insufficient uh, resources and uh, practices in place. So it's going to be interesting to see as we move forward with GDPR how they basically define or as precedent determines uh, what adequate resources is necessarily going to be. And again, uh, DPOs can either be an internal or an external role. They simply just have to be defined. So, and they will be that you can actually outsource to a third-party uh, consultancy group, contractor organization, security law firm, etc. Uh, as long as they have the appropriate uh, influence within the organisation, then that's, that's all that matters. Okay. So, a key thing that, uh, as we move forward uh, within the GDPR is this concept of data security by design uh, and default. And really what they're saying here is that you cannot just add security in as an overlay. You can't build your processes and design your product and your services and then think, OK, what are we actually going to do then from 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 a security perspective? They're really asking you to basically demonstrate that as part of your product development process, part of your software development process, part of your operational build out process, that you can demonstrate that you're actually building security in through the design uh, and the product development process. So it's fundamentally asking you to be able to demonstrate and prove that. And so with regards to that, there requires controls and processes to conduct data protection impact assessments, similar to what we're used to as being a risk assessment uh, within uh, within the HIPAA world or within the general security world uh, overall. And that assessment basically has to happen across the entire organization. Uh, very, you know, We've we, we become very familiar with the concept that many people think that um, uh, data security and privacy can, is very much an IT-centric process. But the reality actually is that um, particularly when it comes to privacy or security, but security as well, we're really looking at the life cycle of where data is flowing uh, as it comes into the company, where it flows through the company, and who, who has access to that information. So as you can conduct these types of assessments, it's important to actually conduct assessment in all parts of the organization that theoretically can touch the data and again that's kind of one of the requirements when they're actually designing this process as the data comes in as the data goes out you need to make sure you're capturing and tracking uh, uh, mechanisms to ensure that the security is built in and privacy is built in by design so let's look at evaluating security measures again uh, similar to hipaa uh, this is a continual process uh, the idea is not just that you conduct and you start off doing a basic risk assessment to understand what your capabilities are right at the beginning of the process, but this should be a continual, uh, 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 ongoing process, um, you know, more often than annual, but certainly from a, from a, from a weekly, from a monthly basis, if you built this in from a design perspective, then there's going to be lots of individual components of a security and privacy program that you're going to be routinely uh, managing from an ongoing perspective. Examples are going to include things like penetration testing, intrusion detection, building in uh, uh, business continuity plans, uh, building in redundancy, uh, basic encryption across the environment. Uh, And again, all of this is going to be underpinned by these ongoing assessments of the data protection impact assessments as defined by uh, the GDPR. And so there's lots of different ways to make sure that, you know, uh, you're implementing it. And, you know, going back to the point I mentioned, you know, again, you can certainly look at HIPAA as defining some of the key elements of this. But really, most of the people that uh, that are going through HIPAA are typically going to use a a, a more industry uh, robust security framework. Uh, Maybe a SOC 2, maybe ISO 27001, um, NIST 800, uh, 171 or 53 in the U.S., there are lots of different security frameworks, and all of these security frameworks, uh, again, maintain and define very specific standards and lots of different control areas for how you go about operating an effective security and privacy program. And obviously, we've listed examples here as well. So, what happens if you um, if you don't uh, do this effectively? What is the um, what is the downside? Well. One of, the, one of the criticisms I think today of HIPAA, uh, even though we, we continually see from time to time uh, in the news a, a major breach uh, a, a, and a major fine for, for a non-compliance, um, really in the great scheme of things, given how many uh, organizations there are uh, that are covered under HIPAA, mm-hmm. um, the, 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 the amount of fines against that are, are not considered to be particularly high. Uh, and typically, if, if it is a you know, two or three, $4 million fine, which again are rare, but when that happens it's typically a much larger organization uh, that that thing's been applied to, to so how much of a punitive effect uh, that really is um, if i think there's one thing that's really getting people uh, to start set up and take notice uh, for um uh, for gdpr it really is the the the, the fine uh, component so again four uh, percent of annual global turnover or 20 million euros whichever is is the greater uh, but that again can be per breach type so again there can be uh, potentially greater fines than that because again as i said it's a tiered approach and so it really is um quite a, a financial incentive for organizations to make sure that they are actually operating uh, uh, in this space now it's going to be interesting to see uh, when the first uh, of these um, fines or non-compliances is actually determined uh, as we talked about earlier on the um uh, the framework comes into effect on may twenty fifth um, clearly, there's going to be a time period by when uh, people will theoretically be breaching it or are not following it. Uh, there has to be um, some sort of a discovery process where, uh, again, uh, someone discovers uh, that uh, organisation is non-compliant. Uh, there typically tends to be a notification period when someone is notified as being non-compliant, uh, and potentially an opportunity for that organisation to either uh, remediate the non-compliance or to um, uh, um, protest or, or, or disagree uh, with the, the, the initial assessment. And then at some point, there's going to be ultimately an adjudication and a fine and potentially even an appeals process. So in terms of what we're going to see in the media, in terms of what we're going to see publicly, it could be a long time, a month, maybe even years, before we actually start to see a significant action being publicised against GDPR. The important thing, I think, for people to bear in mind is just because you don't see it, doesn't mean to say it's not happening. Again, you know, typically breaches when they occur can be 18 months to two years before they're discovered. Uh, again, if someone does report an action, it can be quicker than that. Um, but if we don't immediately see on May 26, you know, companies suddenly being uh, 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 penalized for, for GDPR non-compliance, that does not mean to say that as an organization, this is not something you should be spending time to make sure that you're operating in a compliant manner. It's going to take time for this to filter through the process. Uh, but you do not want to be the organisation uh, that in two years' time is basically getting a 20, uh, 20 million euro fine uh, or, or something equivalent uh, because you didn't uh, take appropriate action uh, sooner rather than later. And, you know, again, um, based on uh, surveys that have been conducted, um, we know that many organisations are not ready for this year. 61% of organisations have yet to estimate how many requests for erasure they're likely to receive. Uh, if we actually have a look at uh, the number of organizations that have indicated already, obviously it varies by scale and size. Uh, and definitely from the companies I speak to uh, in the U.S., um, there's, there's starting to be an awareness of GDPR, but certainly not an education about what GDPR is and how it's impacting organizations. And so, you know, thank you for listening to this webinar because, Hopefully, this will help you become a little bit more aware of you kind know, of what your obligations and responsibilities are. Okay, so let's think a little bit more about you know what can you do uh, as an organisation. Again, if you're already operating in compliance with most HIPAA regulations, then as we talked about earlier on, you're probably doing many of the things uh, uh, that you need to be doing in order to basically basically demonstrate uh, that you're operating against GDPR. Uh, HIPAA again is a pretty ambiguous regulation, so again. But if you've gone through an effective HIPAA audit or if you're operating aligned with HIPAA and using something like ISO 27001 or uh, uh, AICPA SOC 2, um, again, you're probably a significant in the way, way uh, there from a, from a security perspective, from a privacy perspective, uh, where most organizations are going to struggle, as I mentioned, is on this ability to understand what data you have and where it is. So really, you know, it's really important that you really start thinking whether this is about HIPAA or GDPR. Uh, you really understand what type of data are you holding You'd be asking yourself the question. Do you need the data? Do you need to maintain the data Is the data essential for your business processes But fundamentally what type of data you have? The location of that data is critical. And as I mentioned earlier on, it's not just about your production facility It's about where else within your organization does that data exist? Do you have people within your organization downloading customer data onto their laptop? You have development organization where you have a development environment or a staging environment? Do you have CRM s- systems where again customer data? Because again, unlike hipaa we're not just talking about the, the healthcare-related data here. We're talking about any personalized data for that sort of individual. And so again, it's really, really important you understand all the different systems you have within the organization, and you can basically identify which of those systems are going to maintain uh, personalized data. Again, who's in charge of handling that data? So, you know, if you have an organization of 10 people, 100 people, 1,000 people, 10,000 people, uh, you know, which people within your organization has a need to have access to this data? You're going to have different people in the front line who are going to be handling this data as kind of part of their overall uh, business responsibility, and we can, can call that direct access. You're going to have people that we call have incidental access. That is, is not their core responsibility to handle that data, but they will potentially come across it. From time to time, uh, maybe you know because they're handling tickets, and every now and then a ticket has that information whether the customer should put it in or not. So again, people will come across incidental access, and you need to have a plan for that. And then we have what we call theoretical access as well. And theoretical access is really, you don't have day-to-day access, you're unlikely to have incidental access, but you're in a position of responsibility that organizationally you could request to have that access as well. Again, people need to understand that they're not supposed to do that. So again, maybe you're the the director of the, the software development team, so theoretically you could ask to see information. Maybe you're the CEO or a president of the organization, you have the authority to ask for access to the information, so you have to be making sure that you've got uh, processes in place that provide and protect against that type of uh, that type of access. And then, as we mentioned, how much data do you really need to retain, right? Again, and how long do you need to retain it for? Do you have good archiving policies? When you archive data, are you basically marking for delete or are you actually actually deleting and and physically removing the data? Most computer systems today, when you delete something, doesn't actually delete it. It simply just makes the the record free and then it's overwritten at some point in the future. And so it's important you understand those kind of technical differences, because again, if someone's asking you to remove that information, uh, then you have a, a, a responsibility to do so. And then more importantly, once you've basically implemented many of those processes, you need to make sure that you're conducting routine and frequent audits to ensure that, again, everyone who is theoretically or incidentally having access to this data understands the roles or responsibilities. You're validating who should have access, you're validating where data is, and you've got cross-checks in place to make sure your processes and procedures are being followed. But what else can you do? Um, again, as we start preparing for uh, th- th- this deadline coming up or, you know, uh, as the deadline has passed, uh, again, we talked about conduct a data protection impact assessment or a risk assessment. You, if you've not done one of those today, um, not only will you be in violation of the GDPR, you're already in violation of HIPAA if HIPAA applies to you. Uh, every organization should have conducted some form of risk assessment. Uh, security and privacy is a risk-based process. And so you need to understand what kind of risk you have from an organization. Uh, You know, typically pick an industry-recognized security framework. I've mentioned a few already. Uh, Again, ISO 27001, uh, NIST 800-171 if you're in the U.S. Uh, Again, uh, ISO 27001, uh, AICPA SOC 2. If you're, again, healthcare-related, HITRUST, again, is another framework. There are lots of different frameworks uh, available uh, that are accepted generally uh, uh, across uh, various different industries. And so it's important that you've implemented one. A single framework may or may not be sufficient for you to meet the requirements of GDPR. And especially when it comes to the privacy components, there may still be additional things that you have to do. But again, if you're operating against one of these frameworks, you're going to be a significant level of the way down. And again, you're going to point to that as your framework, as your attestation as to why you believe you're operating in, in, in alignment with the GDPR. Uh, make sure you're doing, again, as we talked about, effective incident response. Again, your know, security and privacy. Are, are incredibly important, but not just from uh, the, 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 the theoretical beach access, but it's also about availability. And integrity of the data as well—they're they're just as critical. So making sure you have effective incident response, so you understand who theoretically has accessed that you understand uh, uh, how you can actually respond to those incidents. You have an effective business continuity in plan, that you understand how you can basically do uh, um, disaster recovery. Again, you want to make sure that this information is accessible and available, and you know where it is, and that people can basically access it any time. So you have to have effective plans in place to do this. Um, and then, you know, Gartner did a study recently that basically said that something like 60 percent, uh, only 60 percent of, of applications and services within an organization are basically managed by the IT organization. Up to 40 percent are what we call shadow IT. So this can be uh, cloud based services that the marketing team signs into or another division of department signs into. Make sure you understand that you have a process in place that makes it easy for you to track and manage that. Again, the more you lock down your organization, the more incentive you're giving certain people to basically fall outside the system. So it's important you understand all the assets you have. You know, Are people using their own mobile device? Are people using home laptops? Do they have thumb drives? What other assets outside of your your, your, your collection could, could, could data theoretically be uh, downloaded to? And then make sure you're training your staff. Again, make sure every one of your staff understand what GDPR is, understand the implications of GDPR, but effectively provide good security training and try and do this continually in an ongoing. You know, annual security training has been proven to be not be effective and might meet specific compliance obligations, but it's not really an effective way. And really, the, the best way to be compliant with GDPR is to make sure you're operating in an appropriate manner. And again, training people is going to be the best way to do this. And lastly, document everything. You know, If you don't document it, it didn't happen. If you don't have a policy or procedure to say you're following a particular path, then again, you can't guarantee or demonstrate you're following that path. If you're not tracking and managing who has access to information or data, then again, you can't demonstrate you're having control of it. So effective documentation, effective policies, procedures, uh, standard operating practices, again, make sure that you have a really good and robust uh, 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 documentation history, uh, change management history, uh, You know, Document and track it as best you can on an ongoing basis because that's going to be your best defense. And when you actually conduct your risk assessments, you're going to be conducting the risk against the information that you're tracking and managing. Okay, so again, just a reminder and just more as a sum up, questions that you're going to need to be able to answer uh, from an organizational perspective is, you know, what type of data do we have, right? You know, where is that data being held? Who is actually in charge and managing that data or potentially who even has access to it? Uh, what is the data being used for Again, that's going to essentially come down to who who needs to have access to it Uh, is the data still relevant and is retention even necessary again you know depending on the different acts in today's environment we have a tendency not to want to get rid of data because we think the analytics and the history and the Uh, understanding the patterns of that data is important. But again, legal advice typically says that the more data you retain and the longer you retain it, then the more risk that you're simply just maintaining. So you really ask yourself the question whether you still need that information that's two, three, four, or five years old. Um, And again, there might be regulations that require you to keep it, but again, that you should be doing it for a, a, a progressive purpose. And then what security measures are in place to protect the data, as we've talked about earlier on, you are operating against an effective security framework. And then can the data be accessed and furnished to make the individual concerns should they make a system access request? And that goes to the point I mentioned uh, earlier on in the webinar, which is, do you have a process in place for when someone asks for access to their information? Are you able to facilitate that process? would you even know that that request you know is there a mechanism in place where individuals understand where to make that request and you make that you know easy for them um uh, you know do you have a process for managing it how will you get that information to them can you provide them that information in a readable format as required by the regulator? Right way so in conclusion uh, it's really important to understand that gdpr is much more aggressive than HIPAA, uh, particularly when it comes to privacy uh, and that's again a key differentiator so again Well, operating in line with HIPAA will uh, take significant steps towards uh, operating in line with GDPR. Uh, Do not think that just because you've gone through a HIPAA audit and you've passed out or that you think you're operating with most of the forms of HIPAA, that that's in itself going to make you compliant with GDPR. As we talked about earlier on, uh, the information set is different. Uh, HIPAA is related to to the specific information related to the care and treatment uh, of, of healthcare. Uh, whereas GDPR specifically related to the personal data of an individual. So again, there's a big difference in the type of data. Um, if you've already got technical safeguards in place, uh, then, you know, that's a great start, right? It's important to understand that, you know, what you've got in place, build on that because, again, none of what you've done to put in place in order to operate in line with HIPAA is going to be wasted. It's just a question of building on top of it as well. And as I mentioned earlier on, you know, just because we're not going to hear anything in the press or the media about enforcement, taking place um, for for, for a few months or years does not mean to say that it's not happening. It does not mean to say that companies are not being uh, notified in private. It does not mean to say that things are not happening behind the scenes because, again, the moment that the fine is announced in the press uh, is going to be somewhere down the line. But again, the actual uh, 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 non-compliance will happen much sooner than that as well. And really, you know, I think the key thing is from an organization, be as transparent as possible. Try and make sure that you know you you know as an organisation you're communicating with staff, communicating with your customers about what your processes are in order to try and uh, operate in alignment uh, 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 with GDPR. And then again, all organisations posting health data will need to review their existing policies and practices to ensure compliance. Again, you know most organisations have something in place. Again, if it's aligned with HIPAA, that's great. If it's aligned with another framework or another standard, that's good too. But again you need to review everything in line and map it specifically to the specific articles of gdpr so that again you know most of the different security and privacy controls within a, a, a gdpr although they're very general are kind of mapped out and you should be able to map and align them to um specific if you if you're already operating iso 27001 or NIST 800 171 you can map the specific articles to the specific controls Uh, and domains within each of those frameworks so that when someone comes in and asks you to demonstrate that you are operating in line with GDPR, uh, you can make it simple enough. uh, You can simply align the different components to whatever framework you're operating. So just, you know, what do we do and just a little bit about, you know, why we are obviously interested uh, in GDPR. Uh, you know, Basically, at Stendio's MyVCM is a, a, a SaaS-based information management uh, a platform that allows any organization to manage the entire server security and privacy program. Uh, we allow you to uh, build out the various different workflows uh, for your security and privacy program and map and track it to multiple standards and regulations. So again, if you are already operating our platform in alignment with SOC 2, or ISO 27001, or NIST 800-171, uh, or all three of those, it becomes really easy for you to basically align those specific activities uh, with uh, the specific GDPR requirements. And so again, what we do is basically three things. We help you build a pathway to manage the security compliance of whatever standard or regulation you're looking to operate against. The platform is a workflow tool. Actually, operates that activity for you. So it's distributing policies and procedures for electronic signature. It's managing your training program. It's managing and tracking your assets and your vendors and all the different places where uh, we talked about storing and, and accessing and understanding where your data is. And then it gives you that ability to easily demonstrate that you're operating in alignment. Pacific standards So with that, I'm going to uh, pass it over to uh, Catherine to see if there's uh, any questions uh, from the audience.
0: Hey, thank you so much, Grant. I um, appreciate that. That's a very, very interesting um, uh, perspective. I, and uh, we definitely have not had anyone um, talk about this. Um, so I really appreciate you um, presenting this webinar today. Um, so we did have some a uh, few questions. Um, so does GDPR only apply to electronic data?
1: So not specifically. Again, obviously um, most data today, if you look at how much data we have in the world today, most data today is electronic. And electronic data gives us a whole interesting concept of you know data ownership because if it's electronic, it can be who really owns data. Uh, but actually, GDPR really applies to any any data belonging to the individual. And so, um, again, if you've got people faxing information in, if you get people basically filling out uh, paper application forms, etc., any data that anyone has uh, basically falls under the concept of GDPR. Uh, that said, I think it's important people generally understand that you know maintaining paper records often is a lot easier. Uh, to secure than, than electronic ex- uh, 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 electronic records, so really most of the application of GDPR really does apply uh, uh, on an electronic basis, but the regulation itself isn't uh, you know specific to electronic data. It uh, applies to all data.
0: Okay, yeah, I think everything pretty much turns into even if it's not electronic originally, it it turns into electronic eventually, um, right?
1: I've, I've uh, been to some that, providers, even, even today, some providers in the US that, that still are struggling to uh, get everything. through. It.
0: True, true. That is true. That is true. Um, all right. So we had another question here. Uh, does all personal data need to be encrypted when it's stored under GDPR?
1: again this is you know this goes to the concept of gdpr not being that prescriptive uh, and the concept that really what gdpr is trying to encourage you to do is make sure you're operating in line with an effective security program um so you know it's interesting a lot of people think that hipaa requires uh, information to be uh, encrypted uh, but actually the requirements within uh, hipaa for data encryption uh, are considered to be a, 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 a addressable requirement um, now that said um, when many of these regulations were written, uh, uh, so back in sort of, 1996, um, encrypting data uh, was seen to be sort of challenging, but kind of hard and expensive, depending on the way that you did it. But really today, uh, there, there really should be no um, need, you know, there be no excuse for not encrypting data at any point in time. And so the way that HIPAA specifies this is that it says that you should, you know, if you're not going to encrypt it, you need to just implement appropriate equivalent controls um but fundamentally you still have to protect the data Uh, i think you'd struggle to get through any form of risk assessment today uh where you could come up with a justifiable reason for why you're not encrypting the data um as you conduct a risk assessment and you're understanding the risk of the data you're managing and tracking um, and to try and uh, identify that that data is at the point where uh, it's not worth uh, 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 Encrypting uh, would be a, a hard justification and you know an example of that I think today is even just general websites today I mean Google have come out now and uh, Google will really give you a low ranking score if you're not encrypting uh, Your website uh, from a from a from a transport perspective So if your website's running HTTP rather than HTTPS, you can get a lower a lower um, a Google ranking score, and and that really is more a reflection of just how easy it is today to encrypt the data you have. So yeah, so it so says GDPR doesn't specifically say uh, that you have to encrypt your data, but I think you would have to go a long way to justify whatever security framework you're operating uh, to suggest that you're you know why you wouldn't encrypt that data. There are unique use cases. Uh, you know, I, I've got a friend of mine that works. Uh, in the aviation industry, and they use things like X25 technology, which again is very legacy infrastructure. Uh, there are obviously issues with you know, mobile devices, again, text messaging, etc., has limited encryption. Uh, there are specific use cases where there may be justification for minimal or, or, or no encryption depending on the data being sent Uh, but again you know really that's coming down to whatever risk assessment you conduct if you're managing your security framework will determine whether you're implementing appropriate controls or not and given how easy it really is to encrypt data today uh, again you know i I think you go a long way to, to come up with justification for why you would encrypt so i think under that perspective you could make the argument that because gdpr is requiring you to apply uh, and comply with you know, reasonable industry standards then you know the, the inference should be that you should be encrypting your data but it's not that specific under the regulation the
0: okay great um and we had a another question um, is there a gdpr certification
1: and similar to what i said before not specifically again uh, gdpr at the moment uh, really requires organizations uh to operate in line uh, with an industry acceptable standard Uh, uh, the eu themselves uh, uh, and i'm trying to remember what article is specifically stipulates that uh, they will approve uh, and they have a board that will basically look at and approve a specific framework and certifications but as far as i'm aware uh, there's no plans to come out with a gdpr specific uh, uh, certification or eu controlled they're really looking for you to, uh, again, you know, operate in line with the, the regulations as they determine them. And you know, the, the, the big part from a security perspective is to make sure you are operating in line with the kind of industry standards. Now, you know, when they're going to publish what those standards actually are, uh, and given that, for example, HIPAA is not a standard, it's a regulation, um, you know, there's there's obviously some ambiguity there if you basically say you're HIPAA compliant. Uh, how would you be determined what HIPAA compliant actually is, given that it's a regulation rather than a standard? Uh, but certainly, I think if you're operating against like ISO 27001, uh, NIST eight hundred fifty-three or 171, if you're operating against a, a, a well-established industry security framework, um, then that's really kind of going to be how you're going to be able to demonstrate a GDPR compliance, rather than you know, like some GDPR-specific standard that the EU have developed.
0: Okay. Great. Um, so, attendees, if you have other questions, I think we're we're just about out of time. So, uh, we'll answer any other questions um, directly um, offline. But um, please, please send those to us. Um, Grant, did you have a a, a contact page there um, on your on your slides? Yeah, so okay, there, there you
1: go. Thank you for the prompt. There you go. <laughs>
0: okay. Great. Great. So, um, so attendees, uh, please use the contact information on the screen for any questions. Uh, you can also send us questions, and we will uh, forward those on to to Grant. Um, and did you have any other um, any other final uh, final words for us or, or advice or?
1: Yeah, I think the last thing I'd probably say is that you know I wouldn't necessarily be intimidated by GDPR per se because I think that. You know, I say the same thing about companies that come to us and talk about HIPAA, which is, you know, HIPAA is a means to an end and, and GDPR in many ways is a means to an end in the sense that, you know, as an organization, as a company, we have a responsibility to operate and secure the, the, the data that we're interested to provide. And we should be doing that anyway. And so, or, you know, responsible organizations um, who are, uh, you know, looking to operate an effective business and are looking to be uh, uh, responsive to their customers and their clients. Uh, should already be doing most of what GDPR requires us to do now, The slight nuance to that is the, 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 the Ability of the need to track individual data and an individual data, data record which is a slight uplift in, in what um, Most organizations and need to do but for the most part, um, you know most of implementing GDPR compliance is really implementing common-sense uh, information security programs and, you know, 90% of it is there. There are a few other things, uh, as we've talked about, that go above and beyond that. But I think most people should feel comfortable. That if you're operating and you put 90% of that in, um, then, you know, that's going to be a good start for you. Uh, and then just you know, work on being aware of, of those other elements uh, above and beyond. Um, but again, you know, this should be, you know, for organisations that are already operating responsibly, this should not be as big a lift uh, as maybe they might worry that it is.
0: Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you so much, and thank you for um, for bringing us this webinar today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. I've enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Thank you, and uh, thank you, attendees, for, for coming and joining us. And you can register for any future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website, which is firsthcc.com. You can call us also at 888-543-4778 and thank you for joining us.